whatever you have your Bible on, your cell phone, iPad, whatever it might be. And uh, let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be. And I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave your change by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, last week we started a series called A World Looking for Love. And one of the verses that we read just kind of stuck out at me. And that was in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And uh, it says this, Love does not dishonor others. So I asked the Lord, well, if we, we are not allowed to dishonor others, how do we build a house uh, or a life of honor? And so Romans 12.10 says this, honor one another above yourselves. So this word honor is pretty important. If we're to honor others, which is everyone above ourselves, that means uh, we can't just like the people that we like, but we have to honor others that we really wouldn't choose to like, all right? And I think Jesus uh, addresses this pretty well in Mark chapter 6, 1 through 4, where he says this, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, uh, to his hometown. Uh, Jesus had just been doing some uh, miracles and returns home. It says, the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So they're all excited about what Jesus is doing. Now look at this next verse. Then they scoffed. They dishonored him is what they're saying by making him common. And they said this, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So this is important because I want you to hear this. Offense will cause you to not receive from God and others and cause you to dishonor them. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. In other words, there are places where Uh, Jesus receives honor, and then there are places where he doesn't. And it should be that every Christian, no matter where they're at, gives honor to Jesus at all times. And everything we say and everything we do. Now, there are two words in the New Testament for the word honor. And uh, the first one I give you is for the word dishonor. And it's atomos, and it means to treat as common or ordinary to make them less than they really are. So our tendency is if you don't know how to honor is to make someone less than they really are. The definition of honor, it looks like time, but it's tima, and it means to value, respect, 
or highly esteem, to treat as precious, weighty, or valuable. So when uh, I've said this in many weddings before, if you're going to honor your spouse, uh, it means that every word they say carries great weight and great value in your life. It is like every word is like a bar of gold. It's very heavy and very valuable. So if you're going to build a house of honor, you need to write this down. Honoring begins with your view of God. It means to value God first and that every word that he speaks or has ever written carries great weight and value in your life. Uh, Like Lois was talking about earlier, it doesn't matter uh, who you hear it from. If somebody says, it's time to worship God, and you have it in your heart, nobody's going to tell me when to worship God. There's something that's dishonoring. That's devaluing. But what you're saying, I don't care who said it, should I worship God? Yes. So that heart and attitude, whatever you have towards God, is then transferred to how you value others. And often we see or view people as they are and not as how God views them. So we need to remember God has a unique ability, and this is amazing about our God, that he sees others in their depravity and their dignity at the same time. Uh, That should encourage every one of us here because God knows what sins you committed this week and still he can see you in your righteous state in the blood of Jesus. So God is calling the church to honor others the same way he does. Let me show you this principle in Romans 8.30. It says this, and and those he predestined. Let me just stop there for a moment. Uh, Some people teach predestination, which is a wrong theology. They teach that God has written a plan, but he's left some people out. And that is not true. Predestination means God has a predestiny for you. And so before you ever went there, he already saw you there. All right? So we did this while we were raising our kids. And maybe you did too. Before they ever went to junior high and high school, we saw them serving God. And we rehearsed it before them. We saw them having an impact on their friends and their teachers in junior high and high school. And we told them so. And before they ever graduated from high school and college, we saw them graduating and told them they were going to graduate. Before they ever had a spiritual, healthy family, we saw them with a spiritually healthy family by telling them to marry a godly man, all right? Now, we were telling them God's plan for their lives, and I believe God has a plan or a predestination for every person in this room this morning. He sees you, even if you are not living out your calling, he always sees you as he destined you to become. So, this verse is saying, he predestined you, he also has, he sees you as called, he sees you as justified, and he sees you as glorified. That means he has a predestined uh, destination on your life, whether you choose it or not, all right? So, and the great thing about our God is that he can see both our depravity and our destiny at the same time. Now, one of the greatest ways you and I can honor God is to believe what God said about your life. You need to believe and then build that life that God's predestined you. We're going to talk about Noah in just a moment, but let me just say this. Noah built an ark. Now, Noah had to build the ark. God gave him the wood, but he had to do the building. 
And I just want you to know, God's given you a life, a predestined life, but you've got to build it. He's given you the materials. So get to work, start building, all right? So Noah was one of those people who believed what God said about him and obeyed everything and everything God asked him to do. And because of his heart uh, of honor for God, he built a house of honor that lasted for generations to come. In fact, we're part of that generation. That's right. So, Genesis 8, 15 through 22, in the NIV, this is at the end of the flood. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Now look at this verse. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Look at this verse. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. I just want you to know God can smell honor. Come on, it's good. Okay. And then he said in his heart, God said in his heart, so God didn't speak these words. These are God's thoughts. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Just so you know, we, we, we have a tendency to say, oh, he's a good person. No, he's not. He was born in sin. He's sinful. This is what God, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from what? Childhood. That means we don't spend our time teaching people to do evil. We teach them to do good because evil's already in them. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, Day and night will never cease. But look at this verse again, verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. I'm telling you, there's nothing or there's something that happens in your life and in your house when God smells honor. Does anyone here want to honor God this morning? I do. Does anyone here want to treat God as precious, weighty, or valuable? Because if you do, I want you to know that sure smells good to God. All right? Does anyone here want to, to honor God in such a way that you break a curse that has been over your family for generations? Does anyone here want to honor God in such a way that he closes a door on your history and says, never again? Does anyone here want to honor God in such a way that he closes a door on your past and opens a door to a brand new future and gets you ready for what he's about to do in your life? Now, A little background on this story. I love this story because it reminds us of the simplistic love of God and how important it is to honor him in everything that he's planned for our lives. And in this story, God tells Noah it's going to rain. He tells Noah to build an ark. Now, you need to understand, no one had ever seen rain before and no one had ever seen an ark before. They might have had a robo here or there, I don't know, but they'd never seen an ark. So Noah didn't know exactly what the ark was or what rain was. So he's building, I want you to hear this, he's building for something he doesn't even understand or has never seen before. 
So uh, on here, there's a picture of the ark. Now, so now remember, we see, this is in Kentucky, I think, or Arkansas. There's a park now where a guy actually built an ark to specifications. But I want you to know, that's the finished product. It took him 120 years to do it. And God says, listen, uh, Noah, this is what I want you to do. And all of his neighbors and his friends begin to mock him, make fun of him. For 120 years, he's doing what God tells him to do. They don't believe him. He tries to tell them it's time to repent. And God says, listen, I'm going to take the righteous, put them inside that ark, because the wickedness has become so great, I'm going to start the process all over again. So he tells Noah and his wife and three sons, Shimam and Japheth, and their wives to get into the ark. All eight souls together on this ark with all the animals represented on the earth and the Lord, not Noah, but the Lord shut the door. And it begins to rain. Now, when we think about rain, we think, I'm tired of the rain. And then there begins to be a torrential downfall, which we've seen a time or two this year. And then buoyancy begins to lift the boat, and the ark begins to set sail for 40 days and 40 nights as the entire earth is submerged beneath the water. And finally, as the waters recede, the ark comes to a resting place on a mountaintop called Ararat. And some think that's in Turkey, but nobody knows for sure. Some think they found parts of the ark, but nobody knows for sure. But you need to know, when you honor God, God will move you where he wants you to be. Okay? So our, our text begins at this stage of the story where the door of the ark is opened and God begins to speak. There are so many things in this story when it comes to honoring God. Uh, I wish I had time to, to go over this in fact, someday we're going to do a series called Science in the Bible. But, so let, let me just give you the first principle to write down. Because when you honor God, number one, God provides a safe place for his kids. No matter what's going on around you, uh, that as you honor him, he will always put you in a safe place of security and get you through things you didn't think you could get through by yourself. But with God, you, you can get you through it. And number two, God opens doors and closes doors. When God closes a door, no man can open it. When God opens a door, no man can shut it except for God. So when you honor God, you will be surprised at the amazing doors he opens and the amazing doors he closes in your life. Number three, the buoyancy of a new beginning is often symbolized by water. That means Noah and his sons were baptized in the waters and the seas, and those uh, that were not committed to God were drowned in what the righteous actually sailed through. And I want you to know that God will help you sail through anything as long as you honor him. That's why our new life in Christ is symbolized, like you saw this morning, by a new beginning in water baptism. We die to our old lives and we're raised to a new life in Christ in the waters of baptism. Okay, so we, we also see by honoring God, and you can write this down, Noah built by faith to the saving of his household. He was showing his family, God is first in our house. 
I'm not just going to tell you, but I will show you that we will honor God by our obedience to him. Anything he asks me to do, I'm going to do it. I think God wants us to see the advantage of being a believer is that Noah built by faith to the saving of his house. Hebrews 11.7 says, he built an ark to save his family. And this principle tells us that ministry begins at home, not at church. See, when you honor God, he's pleased when you are more concerned about winning your family than you are about impressing others at church with your cross necklaces and your tattoos on your shoulders and thighs. And he's saying, I want you to know this. I want you to be the same inside your house as you are outside your house. When you honor God, I think it will show first at home. That's just a thought. All right. Here's the fifth thing you can write down. The way you live will show up on how you live outside of Sunday mornings. It's just another kind of way to say it. The world is watching our words and our actions on how we honor God. So when you honor God, number six, he has a way of designing a place. I want you to hear this. Designing a place so secure that no matter how turbulent things are on the outside, you can have peace on the inside. Now, that's a real problem today with believer and unbeliever alike. Uh, we, we have people that are having a hard time finding peace on the inside. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit will wake you up in the middle of the night, but oftentimes it's because of the restlessness that's going on inside your spirit. And when you turn on the TV, especially when you turn on these days and you watch the news, how many know it's chaotic, it's turbulent, and it's full of negativity, and it just makes you want to throw up. And God's telling you through this story that as Noah honored God, that he will insulate you. So, uh, in other words, he's going to protect you. So he will put you in a cocoon, just like, and he will take care of you while everything's going on. In this story, we find that the ark was covered with pitch on the inside and outside, so much so that Noah and his family were secure, and there wasn't one leak on the ark. I think the ark is figurative of the church. But I also want us to understand that even though it was safe and secure, it was smelly in there. Imagine being locked up in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights, and then another 150 days as the waters receded with all kinds of animals in there and eight other humans and no restrooms and only one window. And then, uh, so you're there and you're just saying, God, please, Please let these waters recede, please. And I think he wants us to see that you can honor God and be around other believers and it can still be very smelly. And I want us to know that oftentimes what happens is we dishonor God by the way we treat each other because we don't like the stench. I think he wants us to have, not, not to have any false illusions that his arcs are air-conditioned and climate-controlled. <laughs> that if you honor God, everything's going to be comfortable yeah. all the time. It's like Lois said, God does not build our lives and make it so they're comfortable. He makes us uncomfortable. And I think he wants us to understand that in the course of dealing with other people, that they bring their own drama right. into the atmosphere and that each living thing contributes to the odor. 
including you. I'm telling you, I'm preaching good, all right? Do you know why he does this? So you won't become judgmental and start talking about the person next to you and how they smell when you smell yourself. I think he wants us to understand that all of us bring a certain stench with our saved selves and our hand-clapping, hand-raising selves and course-singing, believing selves. And what we want to understand is that we have a certain stench that you and I have to learn to live with. And I think God wants us to understand that the stench on the inside, I want you to hear this, is better than the storm on the outside. Come on. So before you give up on the church and say, I don't want to be in this stench. Just remember, it's either the stench or the storm. And in my experience, I'll take the stench any day over the storm. I realize the church has a lot of problems on the inside, but it doesn't look that bad when you look at the storm on the outside. And I realize I can trust him and honor him in spite of who he puts me next to. So turn to somebody, give him a high five and say, I'm so glad you're next to me, but you do smell a little bit. Okay. Some of you are enjoying that way too much. Okay. And here's another thing you can write down. I see in this story that God works in enclosed and small places. So we're going to, let let me just, what I mean by this is that how you go into a small place is not how you should come out of the small place. You should come out different. This incubation that, that he does with Noah, he also brings us some historical context of how God dealt with the flood and how he created a new environment for man to dwell in. And I think it helps us see how God handles us as well. That God will place you and I in a cocoon sometimes. God will put us in a place that's small, a holding place. He will make you and I wait sometimes and endure things sometimes that we don't think are right. God has a way of holding us up while we develop and won't open up the door until you and I are ready to step out from a smaller place into a much larger place. I think that is one of the reasons God tells us not to despise the day of small beginnings. That God incubates greatness in small, obscure places, tight places that no one else can see. And we'll look at you and you, you kind of go, ah. no. and we'll say, what's wrong with you? We don't realize that God's working on you in a tight place. God starts out small, puts us in a cocoon where he can work on our attitudes and our character and our leadership development. And if we aren't careful, what will happen is we will fight to get out of the small place before it's time. See, when God cocoons us and he wounds us, it is for our protection. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Quit fighting God's timing in your life. When you, when you fight it, you're dishonoring him. When you rest in it, you're honoring him. So just ride out where you're at. God shows us a pattern that, that, that the same God who gave Noah the direction to build an ark is the same God that gave the, the, the insect a cocoon and the God that gave the insect a cocoon, he gave it to him so it could, it could discover itself. So that when it comes out, 
it will be greater than when it went in. So you and I have to have enough faith to stay where God puts us until he opens the door and to, to take us into the next dimension without clawing our way out on our own, which would bring our own destruction. Trusting God's timing is honoring him. I want you to see that. Noah did that. He honored God's timing. It also occurred to me as I was looking at the ark and the cocoon, and these were not, not new ideas, but God did this when he, when he built the woman. So here, here's a picture of a woman. So uh, the, the woman was the, really the first ark. That when he built the woman out of Adam, he built her with a womb so that the womb would hold life. Then I saw a connection between the womb to the cocoon to the ark. So maybe you can see all three here at the same time. And what I want you to see is Adam doesn't wake up and look at the womb and look at the woman and talk about her hair and her body and how good looking she is. No, he doesn't talk about her outward beauty at all. What he does is he calls her a man with a womb. Woman. Woman is what he's saying. So, I, so here's what I hope you'll get from this point, and that is this. When God gets ready to gestate anything, he puts it in a controlled environment to incubate it for what he's going to do next. And that life is in the womb, and that life is in the cocoon, and life is in the ark, and God does this to protect you and me. So what you could feel like when you look at all three of these how many know they could all feel like a prison? But what could feel like a prison just might be a promise from God for your life. And what could feel like a prison, what could feel restrictive, what could feel uncomfortable, what could feel tight. When people, I, I, I like it people sometimes, if you didn't grow up in this atmosphere where people are up here worshiping, got their hands raised, and they're a bunch of maniacs, you know. And, <laughs> And, and you're sitting back there going, what, what is wrong with these people? They're just in love with Jesus. And they're just expressing their hearts. But as they do that, you could begin to think, God, this doesn't feel good. This feels like I'm in a tight place. I feel like everybody's looking at me wondering, well, my hands aren't raised and why I'm not clapping and I'm not doing this. I'm just telling you this. Wait for God's perfect timing. Uh, it'll come. My wife grew up in a conservative social church where they never clapped or raised their hands. And then I married her, took her to my crazy church. And she, I'll never forget this. She looked at me and she said, why did you bring me to this crazy house? <laughs> And I'm telling you, wait for God's time because she's crazier than everybody now. So. But I've had to stay in some of these tight places just like these. And I, I found myself asking God, how long, Lord? How long is this going to take? It feels like yours. How long before I get my breakthrough? How long before I get this, the, the perfect job? How long before I get to go into full-time ministry? But God knew how long to keep me and how long to protect me, uh, which, uh, to protect that which he was developing in my life. See, you don't want to abort your promise because of your impatience. And that's what happens. We, we, we don't want to go through the whole process 
And so what happens is we don't want to wait 40 days. We don't want to wait 40 nights. We don't want to wait 9 or 10 months. And we don't want to wait 10 years. But I want you to hear this this morning. Make sure you wait till God is done with the process because you don't want to come out sooner than you think you should. Some of you just need to thank God. Thank you, Lord, for holding me back. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't open those doors that I wanted you to open. Thank you for keeping them shut. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't release things in my life that I thought you should have released. See, in every picture up here, you can feel stuck. And here's a key. You and I cannot live our Christian lives out of feelings. You can't live out of feelings. You gotta live by faith. And God does not put you in an ark to make you feel comfortable and appease your emotions. He puts you and I in a place of protection. Why? He puts you there until the storm is over, until the test is over, until the trial is over. And what we think is a trial on the inside, it's much stormier on the outside. And in the fullness of time, when you come out, Everyone is amazed at what God did in your life. People won't recognize you because of the life transformation God did in your life when you were in these tight places. So here's another key. God talks to Noah and his family while they're still in the ark, which makes me thankful because sometimes the only time I can stand being in the ark is when God's talking to me. I just want you to know that God hasn't forgotten you. He will talk to you. He, 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 he talked to Jeremiah in a tight place. Look at this. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Don't ever think God doesn't see your tight place and that God can't talk to you when you seem obscure and no one knows. Everybody loves it when we come out of the womb, out of the cocoon, uh, out of the ark. They they don't realize all the things that were going on when we were shut in. And the Lord announced to Noah, it's time to come out. I made everything ready for you to come out. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but some of you need to know it's time for you to come out. God's saying, don't be afraid to walk through the door that I've opened for you. It's time to walk into your destiny in the way that I created it to be. It's a great thing to come out. But truthfully, coming out of a cocoon, out of a cocoon, a womb, or the ark can also be scary and traumatic. Okay? So it can be frightening. There's not an inmate in prison that does not want to come out until they see the door open and then they realize... Where am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? A a, a new can be frightening. New can be intimidating. See, I want you to understand this. God never brings you out of a cocoon or an ark or something smaller, but only to bring you into something larger. Okay? So he doesn't bring you out to put you into something in a small destiny, but he brings you up for something much bigger. You, you can be in your small world for so long, it can mean, I don't know the language anymore. I think some of us older folks can get so into our own little ways, we don't even know how to communicate to young people anymore. And I, I, I get around some of these young people and they'll say things, and I'm like, What? And they'll say, you're, you're a bad preacher. And what they're really saying is, I'm a good preacher. But I didn't know that. So I, you know, you just have to, what are you saying there? All right. 
I've learned so much when Lois was having babies and I was in the Lamaze class. One thing I've learned is the babies don't look like the babies you see on TV, all pretty and clean when they come out. Truth is, they come out all messy, bruised, and ugly. When our baby came out, I was expecting the Gerber baby. I thought, you know, just cute little baby on that, on that baby food. And I realized you don't get the Gerber baby for two to five weeks. But Lois took one look at both our girls and thought, and, 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 and thought they were the Gerber baby. She said to me, aren't they beautiful? And I lied. I said, oh, yes, honey. I, I thought we just birthed aliens. That's what I thought. And birth, is, birth can be traumatic, and sometimes bigger is traumatic. And still God called Noah and his family into something that was bigger and yet scary. Now, here's a thought. Noah had a grandson, actually a great-grandson, through his son Ham and his grandson Cush, whose name was Nimrod. And Genesis 10 tells us he was a mighty man, he was a mighty hunter, and uh, he was revered by the human race at that time. It also tells us this great-grandson, Nimrod, was a great kingdom builder of cities from Iran to Iraq. And one of the great cities he built and ruled over, which we read about in the book of Jonah, was Nineveh the place where Jonah was sent later to bring repentance to that city because of their sinful condition. And Nimrod also got a group of people together and he helped build, and he got them to build a great tower with, a group, with this other group, and it was called the Tower of Babel. That's where, uh, 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 what we would later call Babylon, and which is now called modern-day Iraq. So Josephus, uh, a historian and theological guy that many pastors use, uh, tells us that Nimrod didn't just build the tower out of defiance. By the way, his name means rebel. So it's not that he's, he's, he lets us know he didn't just build this out of defiance to God, uh, of God, or to rebel against God, but he also built in part out of fear of the flood. So Josephus tells us he was thinking, in case of a flood ever happens again, I'm going to build something high enough to escape the flood. So Nimrod, three generations later, is still traumatized by what his grandfather and his father went through during the flood. He's angry at God, full of fear for what happened to his grandfather and his father Cush. And what we learn from Nimrod and I want you to hear this. Trauma is passed from generation to generation. And Nimrod is fighting his father's experience and passing it on to the next generation. So what I want you to see is that Nimrod built his life out of fear. Even though he did great things, he did it out of fear and dishonoring God. He put little value on who God is and great value on himself and his own abilities. And you need to know, the man who honored God, which the Bible tells us is Noah, I think you can write this down somewhere, he built out of faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, this is verse seven, by faith, Noah 
when warned about things not yet seen, no one had ever seen rain before, no one had ever seen the ark, in holy fear, or, that's translated, or in honor to God, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So Noah built an ark to save his family and he honored God by doing what God asked him to do even though it had never been seen or done before. So he builds by faith, being warned of God about things not yet seen and yet he still says, okay God, I don't get it and I'm going to do it. So Noah put great weight, I want you to hear this, he put great weight and great value on whatever God said about his life, over his life, for his life, and over his family's lives, and he believed God, he believed God's predestiny over his life. So he builds by faith, and his faith, I want you to hear this, affected his children and his children's children. See, this honor thing is far bigger than you and I think. Honor is contagious, which makes your faith contagious. Your honor and faith is continual. The way you honor and live by faith is passed down generation to generation, just like fear is passed down from one generation to the next generation. So Noah builds by faith, and Nimrod builds by fear, and he built by negativity and insecurity. And that's why you and I need to watch our attitudes while we are building. See, it is not just what you build, but how and why you build it. So Noah, even though he has gone through trauma, he doesn't build a tower. If anybody had the right to build a tower, it was Noah. After all, Noah already knows how to build. Secondly, Noah's the one who's gone through the trauma. And yet, the one who experiences it doesn't build a tower, but listen to me, he builds an altar. This is so important. What you do after you've gone through something traumatic or scary, either you build a tower to protect yourself or you build an altar to submit yourself. And it's so important for us to understand this. Nimrod builds because he doesn't trust God. He doesn't honor God. He dishonors him. He says, I'll protect myself. So if ever a storm comes again, I'll go up to this tower and I'll be safe. And when you do that, you dishonor God, you remove his value and put it on yourself. But this is why this text is so powerful because Noah opens the door and after going through the storm, he walks out into a new world he's never seen before, like being birthed into a new experience And before he builds a house, before he builds a grocery store, before he finds some land to create and build a farm on, the first thing he does is he builds an altar. You can write that down. He builds an altar first and honors God above everything else. I can just see Noah. I want you to imagine this. He comes out and the kids say, Dad, we're going to build a house? Nope. We're going to start a farm? Nope. Here's what happens. He comes out and says, find me some rocks, boys. Builds an, starts building an altar. And then he takes the last bit of animals he has left. Puts them on the altar and says something like this. 
God, I don't know why you chose me. I don't know why I'm, my, me and my family, why we're the only ones left, but I'm so grateful, God, you're giving us a chance, chance and opportunity to start this earth over again. Thank you, God. I love you. I honor you. I sacrifice before you. And by him giving that, he was saying, God, I'm giving you it all. I'm not giving you a little bit. I'm giving it all to you. I got nothing left. But Lord, one thing I've learned, you brought me through the storm. You brought me through the rains. You put me in a place that's dry. And I know you're going to take care of me and my family for the rest of my life. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my family's future. You brought me this far. Show me where to go from here and show me what to do next. Let's stand. On your notes, I think there's one more. He built a house of honor to God. He honors God first. I I wanted you to hear this this morning because I want us to understand if you're gonna put honor in your life, if you're gonna love with honor, you've gotta love God first above everything else. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Building a house of honor for God is putting him first in everything. It's building by faith. It is doing what he asks you to do even when you don't understand it and can't see it. It is living sacrificially before him above everything in this life. If you want a marriage of honor, then put God first. If you want kids who are going to serve God, then put God first. Don't just tell them, show them. Okay, now, with every head still bowed, every eye closed, it all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to have a life that God will bless, then it all starts with you coming to know Him. You're not here by accident today, and if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment by saying this. God, I know I need to come to you. I know Jesus gave his life for me. And if that's you this morning, raise your hand right now. I need Jesus in my life. Raise him high. Don't hold back. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Any others, raise them high so I can see them. I see at least three, four, five. Okay, several of you. Five. I love five. There were five in the first service. Five's the number of grace, all right? All right, so here's what we're going to do. If I can have the elder workers come forward. And if you uh, raise your hand this morning, let's all pray this prayer together, all right? Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my future mistakes. Come into my life and be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, now, we just got a couple minutes left. I'm going to ask you to sing and worship. Come forward. Tell somebody you gave your life to Jesus. Don't be ashamed of that. If you need healing, a touch from God, come forward, get prayer as we spend some time and worship just for a moment.